My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Amara Posian and Jody Tanita. Often, when we think about social movements, we do it from the thick of the fight. From the midst of responding to whatever urgent needs we and people in our communities, families, and workplaces face. We don't necessarily get a lot of choice about that, but the fact is that it can also be pretty politically important to stay grounded in those needs. There's value in making sure that our struggles don't drift too far away from how it all affects us, our neighbors, and other ordinary people near and far. At the same time, though, it can also be useful to step back a little bit to think about movements. It's not always easy to think strategically and long-term in the heat of the moment, but without at least the occasional opportunity to do that sort of thinking, it can be harder to build the collective grassroots power that we need to win the kinds of victories that will address the urgent needs that got us in motion in the first place. To a certain extent, Talking Radical Radio always tries to create a space for people to take a longer view of the struggles they're involved in, but today's show does that in a somewhat different way. Jody Tanita has been involved in social movements since her teens, initially in the feminist anti-violence movement and the global justice movement. Her involvement in a professional capacity began in her early 30s in the environmental movement in British Columbia. And for the last decade, she's been living in California and part of a movement organization there called the Social Transformation Project, which works with a wide range of major movement organizations in the United States to build leadership, cross-movement relationships, and movement infrastructure. She retains connections with movement work in Canada, particularly in BC. Amara Posian was born and raised in Toronto, and she lives there now, though she first became politically active in climate justice organizing and then a broad range of issues when she lived in Montreal. She has worked for the major progressive organization Lead Now, including managing their strategic voting campaign during the 2015 federal election. And more recently, she's become involved in electoral politics as a candidate, running for the NDP in Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne's riding in Toronto in the recent provincial election, and running for the Toronto District School Board in the fall. These days, she works with social change organizations in Ontario and elsewhere in a variety of capacities, helping with organization building, facilitation, training, strategic planning, campaign design, and more. She's also on the board of directors of a U.S.-based movement organization called the Center for Story-Based Strategy. Both of these guests have connections with social change work oriented towards movement building in both Canada and the United States. Both have experience with grassroots organizing on the ground, and both now are involved in contributing to movements in ways that are a step or two back from the thick of the fight, and that focus on some of that strategic thinking and long-term work necessary to build the collective power it will take to win. And we talk about movement building, about leadership, and, despite the important differences between the two countries, about what movements in Canada can learn from what's happening in the United States. My name is Jody Tanita. I was born in Regina, Saskatchewan, and was raised on the West Coast in Surrey, British Columbia. 
I've been out of Canada now for about a decade. Eight years of that decade has been in Oakland, California, and the last year and a half has been in Los Angeles. I have been involved in social justice efforts of different kinds since about my late teens. I was radicalized in the violence against women movement and then the global justice movement and really came into doing social change work as a profession in my early 30s, which began in the environmental movement in British Columbia. And I was involved in some early power building projects there, particularly around how do you bring different environmental groups together to focus priorities, build constituencies, and scale their work in order to build power to move legislation. In that process, I became engaged with a conference called the Web of Change, and that led to some deep relationship building with organizers, and particularly organizers of color. And in those days, we called it in impacted communities. It really opened my eyes to the struggles of communities of color in the United States and started to form a theory of change in my own mind about the importance of supporting their struggles in the United States in order to really realize some of the vision for what we wanted around the world and in Canada. So I went down there to lead an organization called the Social Transformation Project, which works with leaders from across social movements. So as diverse as climate change organizations such as 350.org to immigrant rights organizations, workers' rights organizations, gender-based justice, really across the gamut on how do they build the kind of leadership, deep relationships, and long-term power-building movement infrastructure to be able to really shape the future of the country there. And all the while, have had a foot in both countries, staying quite connected to organizing efforts, particularly in British Columbia and Amara. I'm talking to you from Toronto, which is where I was born and raised. I've lived in a few different places, including Montreal, for quite a long time, where I cut my teeth as an organizer, first in the youth climate movement and then on a whole range of issues. I started off caring deeply about things and thinking that if I had the facts and was well-informed, I could just ask for things and people in power would obviously be reasonable and give them to me, which I quickly learned was not how things happen. And then went through an organizing phase um, with like a lot of creative actions and direct actions and mobilizing communities around a number of issues, but not always getting anywhere. And then through some work I did at McGill's Office of Sustainability, where we designed the university's sustainability strategy through an engagement process that brought a wide range of people together. And then by working at Lead Now, where I initially started by doing a visioning process for the hundreds of thousands of people who were part of that community to set the organization's direction, then ended up running their strategic voting campaign in the last federal election. I really learned the power of bringing people together to work towards something bigger and then helped elect a government that has since bought a pipeline and broken most of their promises. So I've had a wide range of experiences trying to make change, whether it's been at the grassroots level or with community groups or inside institutions or inside social change organizations. And I now work with social change organizations on helping them figure out what they want to do and how to do it well. And I do a lot of facilitation. But the question of how to make change and how movements can be connected to people in positions of power and how we can build power is very live for me all the time. So given that in this interview, we're going to be trying to learn a bit about movement building in the U.S. context for use in the Canadian context, 
Maybe a good place to start would be to talk about some of the relevant differences between the two countries. One of the real benefits of having a foot in both countries is the mutual learning that takes place. So it's definitely a two-way street. One of the biggest differences of work in the U.S. and in Canada is just really the scale of the countries. We're talking about, and I could have this a little off, so please forgive, but let's say 33 million in Canada to 330 million in the U.S. and just the size of the industrial complexes in the U.S. So the prison industrial complex, the level of influence of money in politics in the U.S. I mean, there's just these huge, huge systems that, of course, we have parallels to in Canada. And certainly the personal impacts of these systems in both countries are as devastating. But just the pure scale of what happens in the U.S. and particularly the corruption of the political system through money and politics We don't have to contend in the same way in Canada with some of those obstacles. The way that groups are funded is very, very different. So a lot of the money in the U.S. that really, in my opinion, should be going into taxation has been housed in foundations in order to shield these large foundations and very wealthy individuals from paying taxes. So rather than having a public system that has governance and community governance, citizen governance, you have these foundations that then dole out dollars to a nonprofit complex, which is really not incented to create systemic change. So it's a much more vast landscape. You don't have the kind of strong government institutions that we have in Canada. And I know we have our flaws. I'm not meaning to romanticize the Canadian system here, but there really is a commitment to the commons in Canada. And also with campaign finance reform in our political system, that makes it possible for someone of Amara's age and her unique organizing capacity to run and win. So I think there's actually a lot more room for innovation in Canada. And, you know, I say that and then I take it back a little bit because from survival comes innovation. And I think really where we see the greatest work being done in both countries is where folks who are closest to the problem are identifying what the real issues are, are identifying the solutions and are the people whose leadership is being supported in order to confront power and then create a relationship to the rest of the country in order to see the solutions realized. And I think that both Amara and I work in that kind of frame in both the U.S. and Canada. And tell me, each of you, a bit more about your current work. Maybe, Jody, you can start out by talking about the Social Transformation Project. The Social Transformation Project was birthed about eight to ten years ago. And the really genesis of that work is the idea that building relationships with leaders from across social movements, breaking down silos is a way to increase the power of our movements. Things in the U.S. work in very siloed ways because of what a lot of people refer to as the 501c3 industrial complex in terms of how foundations fund. It's very, very targeted, very specific If you're an environment, all you do is an environment. If you're an immigration, all you do is immigration. And so this was really an attempt to build relationships across sectors in order to build the power and effectiveness of the progressive movement, because no one sector was really able to have enough power to pass what they wanted to pass. 
the mechanism for that initially was leadership development. And the Social Transformation Project would work with leaders who had built these trusted relationships, who really wanted to work in different formations together and practice together. So we've been in some form of that power building, movement building, new forms of unity experimentation for the last eight years. We learned a bunch of stuff. We learned that building deep relationships really helps people to influence one another. So for example, you've seen some progressive unions over the last eight years come out against the Keystone XL pipeline. You've seen the NAACP, a very long-held civil rights institution, come out in support of same-sex marriage. You've seen the environmental movement in the United States come out in support of comprehensive immigration reform. These are all things that were sort of unheard of in previous times. So through building relationships, folks have really been able to influence one another in all sorts of very meaningful ways. But at the same time, we haven't really seen structural change in our movement. People getting into these deep conversations about the root causes of racism and patriarchy and the way our economy works. And how can we actually make changes at that level that then enable change across all of the different issues that we work on? So really, in the last few years, we've pivoted to what would be the kind of program, the kind of scaffolding, the kind of infrastructure you would need to not just influence each other, but actually start to build power in real ways. There's two ways that we do that. And that's by helping people have a space to both think and get rigorous around what it means to build long-term power, both in their own sector, in their own organization, but then also together. So what are our individual and our collective, what we call North Stars? And how does the constellation of those stars add up to more than the sum of its parts to get us to where we want to go? So to be specific for you, what's the kinds of governance we're looking for? Co-governance. What are the kinds of bargaining rights and ways in which bargaining will shift and change into the future? And how do we want to influence that? What will that look like? Who benefits from the productivity of automation? And what does that world look like? What is the environmental regulations and infrastructure and world we want to create? And how does the economy actually get us there? The really, really tough stuff that we need to figure out if we're going to govern and actually shape the future. And at the same time, how do we make that real in the here and the now? And experimentation, rigorous experimentation is a really great way of grappling with that kind of complexity and helping people to be making short-term change and action in the here and the now that drive us towards these long-term visions. So it's scaffolding that supports very busy leaders, very overtaxed organizations. And in the case of the United States right now, as we know, who are under attack on the daily It provides a space for them to be in long-term sustained conversation and in strategic practice to be able to make sure that what we're doing in the here and the now, that our resistance efforts are strategic and are getting us to where we want to go, not just defensive moves. And that's really the role of the social transformation in the progressive movement in the United States. So what does this really look like? It looks like people in organizations dedicating one to three hours a week to be working and really focused on the long term. And it looks like having three senior folks in your organization being willing to make that kind of commitment and to think really rigorously about long term. We're supporting people to take these lofty, lofty ideas and bring them right down to the ground. 
What are the actions that you can take in the next two weeks that are going to help you assess and help you move on that? Who do you need to engage in your organization to do that kind of work? And we help them get very rigorous around that and engage the broader organization in these kinds of actions and these kinds of thinking to learn from that and have that really inform what they do. So it looks like a lot of meetings. It looks like people making a real solid commitment to this work on a weekly basis and moving it inside their organization. There's a lot of different ways that we bring different modalities and just help these leaders do things that are really hard, but they're committed to making happen. And I, the primary work that I do these days is building and supporting social change organizations. So sometimes that means designing campaigns and strategies, and sometimes it means strengthening culture and infrastructure. So I do a lot of facilitation I train and coach activists. I facilitate multi-day meetings where people are trying to figure out what they're doing and how to do it. I also spend quite a bit of time as a board member for the Center for Story-Based Strategy, which is an organization in the U.S. that focuses on movement building, on harnessing narrative, the power of stories in order to build movements. So it's a fun, creative organization that's trying to figure out how to build power and create spaces for people to dream a different kind of world and then build that through narrative strategy. And I'm actually also running in the municipal election as a school board trustee in Ward 13, which is Don Valley West. It's where I ran during the provincial election. It seems to me that the work that both of you do is connected in one way or another to questions of leadership in social movement contexts. Now, I know from personal experience that there can be a great deal of skepticism about leadership within movements. So talk about what you mean by that term and about what it means to do it well. When I think about building leadership, I think about building an ecosystem of leaders. It's not that single charismatic, strategic, visionary, often white hope that everybody galvanizes around and works for. What we're talking about is having everyone see themselves as a leader or whatever they choose to refer to themselves as. Really, we're talking about self-determination. We're talking about agency. We're talking about people seeing that they have the power to create change in their communities and all the way up to governing in relationship to their communities. So it's this process of really investing in human potential and having people realize the potential of themselves, of their families, of their communities. So we're talking about leaderful ecosystems. Co-directorship is really a new emerging model that is starting to happen and we're starting to see, particularly in women of color coming into leadership and saying, this model doesn't work. This is actually like white supremacy in action and some of those practices that we have to shift inside of our organizations when we think about what leadership is. So I don't disagree with skepticism, but what I do lean into is what do we mean by leadership? What do our communities need in terms of leadership? The thing that you said about co-directorship really struck a chord because for the last three years, I've been chairing the board of the Center for Story-Based Strategy, and it's gone through a couple of transitions. The first was a founder transition And just recently, we've gone from a transition from an incredible executive director to a co-directorship model for a lot of the reasons that Jody is bringing up. Our conversations about leadership on that board have been around creating space so that everyone can step into their leadership potential more fully and slowing down and thinking about 
what it looks like to lead together, to govern together, to make sure that everyone has a say in the decisions that are affecting their lives, their working conditions. The reason that I talk about leadership is because we often associate it with power and it creates an opportunity to talk about what kind of power. When we think about leaders, I don't know, traditionally, we think about people who have power over a group of people. And on the left, sometimes that means being afraid of power. And when you're afraid of power and you ignore power, you end up giving up power. So I think it's necessary to talk about what we mean by leadership. What is this distributed collaborative form of joint leadership that we're cultivating? How do we create spaces where everyone feels a sense of ownership and responsibility because they have agency and have a say in the decisions that are affecting their lives? That's where I come from when I think about leadership. It's about living values and it's about deep democracy and it's really about collective liberation. So one of the things that led to this interview was that I read another interview with Jody where you talked quite pointedly about the unrepresentative character of movement leadership in Canada compared to the United States. That is, the way that quite often white men dominate movement organizations here in a way that isn't quite as true, at least, south of the border. So what can we learn in Canada from the U.S. about building movement capacity and movement organizations, but about doing it in ways that don't just reproduce this same kind of narrow, unrepresentative leadership that we so often see now? I think there's some really interesting and very powerful work that's happened just in the last five years. We can look to the movement for Black Lives and the way that leadership has been shared primarily by queer Black women and leaderful ecosystems. In the midst of that, they've really had to battle back against people wanting to look for one leader. So although there's a lot to learn from the United States, from the leadership of women, queer women of color especially, I think that we face a lot of the same issues when it comes to power and money. Through our implicit bias, people don't inherently look to the people who are closest to the problem as the leaders to solve that problem. So I think when we do that, that's where a lot of the innovation lies. And there's places where that is really happening in Canada. There's some really interesting experiments. I think Progress Toronto is an example of where folks are really trying that out. Alejandra Bravo is the director of a new program called Power Lab that is really experimenting with some of that work right now at the community level. And I think there's also this new wave of women of color leadership in politics. In Ontario, we're seeing really exciting work really across the spectrum there. So, you know, I don't think it's that new or that shiny, but it's really checking ourselves. So I think it's actually much more of the practice of who we lift up and who we give our resources to and who we trust. We're very used to especially in Canada with a more homogenous population. Primarily, we're used to, in our unions, in our governments, in our organizations, seeing white men. It's like, how can we be partnering to transition? I think one concrete difference is that we have fewer spaces to learn here in Canada. Almost all of the trainings that I've gone to as an organizer have been in the U.S., 
And I have brought some of those things back. I have adapted them and I've run trainings with groups that I've been organizing with or organizations that I've worked with. But it's not the same as having an organization that is dedicated to building capacity and building movements and has cohorts of people going through it, building similar skills, developing shared frameworks, and then staying in relationship with each other and growing and learning together. These spaces exist. There are some organizations that try to do it or claim to do it, but it does not compare to anything that I've experienced in the U.S., even the massive network that exists with the Center for Story-Based Strategy, people who've gone through the trainings, who now lead trainings, who come in and out of a network of training associates. There's nothing like it here. So most of our conversation so far has been from the standpoint of movement organizations or of people already situated within existing experienced networks of activists. To close out, I'd be interested in shifting that a little bit and thinking about people who aren't part of movement organizations and who aren't part of networks of activists. What would you say to folks located in those ways who are passionate about change, who want to get involved, but who aren't quite sure how to do that in the Canadian context? I feel like this is triggering some like existential questions for me. <laughs> I want to say, ask yourself what you care about. Ask yourself what you think the world needs. Ask yourself what you enjoy. Ask yourself, you know, who are my people? Who do I feel connected to? And then just get out there and start trying stuff. There are so many different ways to make change. You can do it through an organization. You can also just talk to your neighbors and realize that I don't know, there should be a stop sign at the corner of your street and you all agree and you've all agreed for 10 years and no one has bothered to talk to each other about it. And whoa, you just realized, <laughs> figure out how to make that happen. I don't think there's a right way or the best way. I think we need everything. And I think that people are at their best when they're doing something that is fun for them, that they're like good at or good enough at that they're learning and don't feel terrible because they feel like they're failing over and over again. And when they're doing something in community and something that everybody needs. It's a big question for movement building organizations right now. How do you meet people who are entering the door at this moment? And how are we welcoming? What does our welcome mat look like? that you don't have to be deep in it and woke and already have the depth of analysis. How are we really meeting people where we're at and not watering down where we want to go, but understanding that this is a journey. But start, as Amara says, in whatever way is most meaningful to you and give it a go and keep at it and find people who want to support you. And also find people who are different from you right. and talk to them and build those relationships. And like do the work to understand each other's values at a really fundamental level because we're in the situation we're in, in the US and Ontario, because we're so disconnected from each other. You have been listening to my interview with Jody Tanita, who works primarily with the US-based Social Transformation Project, but who retains connections to social movements in Canada as well and Amara Posian, who is based in Toronto. She does a range of work supporting Canadian movement organizations, while also serving on the board of the U.S.-based Center for Story-Based Strategy, and she's running for the Toronto District School Board in this fall's election. You can find both of them on Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.